0: God for being our all sufficient God, and we thank you, Lord, for such a great love that you have for us that Lord, that your love nothing can separate us from it and we 're so thankful, Lord, that you have chose to shower us with your love, that we might be intimate with you, and we might know you very personally and I pray, Father, that in these days in which we are living from young to old, that we might know you intimately and that we would desire to even know more of you. May you speak through your word and may your word, O God, pierce our hearts and our minds. And may we not only be hearers of your word, but may we be doers of it and may we be a people who construct our lives in a pattern and in a way that honors you in your word. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, last time I was up here we were talking about, well, you me for that, Babylon. And I have this area where I wanted to close out on Babylon, especially in chapter 18 of Revelations, because we need to understand that for historical point, Babylon would fall rise, fall rise, fall rise. And it came to a place that God even said, Babylon will rise no more. Babylon would rise no more. And I want to end on that because in ending on that part, because in chapter 18, what we're seeing and what we looked at, 17, 18, was the Antichrist setting up his system. And that which was governing the people. And as Babylon made the people drunk with its wine, and all of its sin, and all of its evil, that you and I need to understand that although we talk about the Antichrist, what we need also to see is God's power of salvation during the time of tribulation. God's time. God's time. And the challenge for us is going to be this. We don't trade away our values for convenience. We don't trade away our belief just so we can get along. We don't trade away God's standards and God's principle for that we can be comfortable during the tribulation period of time. You don't trade it away. You hold to it no matter what may take place. And often today we're being challenged in many different ways. To compromise, to be tolerant, to be this, to be that. You stand on God's word and God's word firmly. You stand there. And you trust God for your very life and for the results whenever you stand. That old saying is still true. A man who stands for nothing will fall for everything. You have to know your principles. You have to know your values. You have to know what you stand for. And do not allow others to persuade you otherwise other than the Holy Spirit. God's saving power in the midst of tribulations. We need to understand that God is able to save in the worst of times. And he loves to show off his power and his strength. Some of you may not know a gentleman by by the name of Oliver B. Green. Who used to come on the radio on the gospel hour. And he wrote many books about the end times and so forth. But he makes this statement. God has a plan, a program. And all hell cannot frustrate it. All hell cannot frustrate it. The fulfillment of that plan. One day, time will be no more. Eternity will begin. And all sin and all evil will be no more. Just think of that. All sin, all evil will be no more. Remember as we looked at Babylon, we looked at the name of Nimrod, the builder of Babylon and Assyria. The whole issue is that Babylon means rebel. Rebellious one. Rebelling against God. What Nimrod meant. One who's going to rebel. Babylon is that place where every hideous type of teaching against God came forth from. And every type of teaching that is against God today, we can trace it back to that. From the very beginning of false teaching. Every type of idol worship. Came about out Babylon. And you and I need to remember that. Boy. Everything about Babylon. Was constantly against God. Constantly against God. When we look back at Babylon. Go with me to Revelation 18. We just want to refresh our memories just a little bit. As we go forward. Because what we're going to look at is chapter 7 and then chapter 14 to see God's power. But I also want to somewhat outline this character of God and this ongoing plan of God and what God in his own character is like. Remember what scripture says? God changes not. He's the same what? Yesterday, today, forever. Understand you may be taken by surprise and something may change you real quick. It don't change God. It doesn't change God. In Revelation 18 he, he shares with us this thing about Babylon. Babylon has fallen and it comes to a place he says in verse 2 he said with a mighty voice he shouted fallen fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home of what? Of demons. That's what she wrote. I remember in Timothy it talks about the teachings of demons Babylon during this time spurs all that on. All that comes out of that. All of his heresies, all of his false teachings come out of this area during this time and prior to that. Now understand, what we're looking at here at 18, 19, you have a little prelude. Then when you hit 20, you got the millennium, the reign of Christ for a thousand years. So it comes right at this very end part somewhat. But it has been going on for some time. But it says it's going to come to an end. It says, the kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her. Excessive luxuries. And that's where people want to live at, in luxury. And they provided these luxuries. And Babylon provided all the luxuries of the world. All the desires, whatever you could dream of. Babylon provided it. And you were able to do it without any guilt feeling. You were able to do it without feeling that you're put down. See, the whole thing that one of the gentlemen said that was being interviewed, he said, now I can go home and I can face my children with no shame. Two men living together, you're going to face your children with no shame. Just because a law passed, that does not erase the consciousness that God has given you. That shame and that guilt still is going to be there. Now you've got to attack the next thing that still stands against you. What stands against you? The church. Because, see, there's still a lot of churches that will never recognize it, even when you come in and say, I'm married now. No, it's sin. It's sin. And he goes on and he says, this is what the Lord says. When you come down into verse 4, he says, come out of them. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sin. And we talked about that. The people of God coming out of Babylon. The people of God coming out of the sin. The people of God coming out. God is always calling us out of darkness. God is always calling us out of sin. He's always doing that. God is doing that. To shorten it just a little bit, jump all the way over with me into verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Now, catch 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large milestone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. Now, I catch and underline this part of it. Never to be found what? Never to be found again. You don't find that about Babylon really until you get to Revelation. You find Isaiah prophesying that it will not be in Jeremiah, but it said never to be found again. Never to be heard of again. Because as we go into the millennium, you will never hear about Babylon again. As we start off into eternity, you'll never hear about Babylon again. You'll never hear about it again. Go to Isaiah 13 and verse 19. Isaiah 13, verse 19. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonian pride, will be overthrown by who? By God. Even though God raises up kings from the north to come against her to destroy her, it's by God that Babylon is destroyed. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what what do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? You can't find it. You can't find a trace of them. They're gone. They're gone. And he says, she will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. Never to be lived in. Never to be inhabited. Go to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. Verses. Well, pick up on verse 9 first as we kind of travel over that way. Go to verse 9. And it says, We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. When, when sin runs so rapid, and sin is so deep, And that's what you love. And that's what you desire. There's no healing for it. Because you will not accept. What it will take to be healed. And when you will not accept the blood of Christ. For your healing agent. For your sin. When you will not accept. The death and the atonement of Jesus Christ. For your sin. When you will not accept the person of Christ. For your sin. There's nothing else. That can heal you. Absolutely nothing. And. He says. Boy. We would have healed Babylon. But she cannot be healed. Let us leave her. And each go to his own land. Maybe we saying. Calling his people out. Boy. Stop the witnessing. Stop the testimony. It's time to leave. Go to 63 and 64. Verses 63 and 64. When you finish reading this strobe, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise, what? No more. Because of the disaster I will bring upon her and her people will fail. God is letting us know even before tribulation periods ever start this massive empire this massive worship where the beast takes place and so forth that it will be no more. It's only for a little while and it will be no more. It's just for a little while. Now in Romans 5.20, and I want to put, put just a couple of things in your mind as we go forward. And the, the thing I want you to ask is this, is it true or not? Is it true? Is it true? If it is true, then what is your action? And that's the thing that you and I have to recognize. If it be true what is our action? What do we do from that point if it be true? Can you switch me on back there? I'm all set up here now. If it is true, what is my action? If it's true. Because that's the important issue. If I really accept this as truth, what should I do? Can you get it? I need to tr- Okay. I'm not detecting. I'm on up here. Okay, we'll move on without it. When you go to 520, Romans 520 says, The law was added so that trespasses might increase. But then, listen to this little phrase towards the end. But where sin increased, grace did what? Question I would ask, is that only doing the church period or is that God period? That his grace, wherever sin aboundeth, his grace will what? Much more abound. See? In other words, God says, "If you want to fight with me, come on, but I'm gonna knock you out because <laughs> I'm gonna win. See? I'm gonna win." And, and the really the thing comes around that here is the sin, and Babylon represents all this sin, all this evil. And God says, "Here's more grace. Here's more grace." Here's more grace. Now with that we need to recognise if that's true, that I really understand there's going to be a revival during tribulation period. That the tribulation period is going to have many, many people being saved. Oftentimes we think about the people just being killed. We think about those who are rejecting Christ. But I want you to think for a moment that God's going to use this as one of the great revivals of history. That people are going to seek him. People are going to want to know him. And God is going to do a marvelous work during that time. Second verse I want you to take a look at is John 16.8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. In regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. That God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't stop doing that work. During the time of tribulation. That, that here it is. He's taken out of the way, yes. But whose way is he taken out of? He's taken out of the way of the Antichrist to be able to do the work and the deeds that he's going to do. But it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit totally disappears, that he's not going to do his work. Because understand this, man will never on his own call himself a sinner. He has to be convicted that he is a sinner. He has to come to a place to agree with God. For it is God who said, all have sinned. And there is only one who convicts us of that. And that is the Holy Spirit. It is man in and of himself will never look himself in the mirror and say, you are a sinner. Man won't do that. Why? Because in man's own eyesight, he always sees himself what? Right. Right. And it only comes by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That man will say, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I've sinned. It only comes by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And the whole process is yes. If you want to see this, go with me to Genesis chapter 3. I've never really seen this before, but that old saying is so true. If you ever want to see where something begins, always go back to Genesis. It's the beginning of everything. In Genesis chapter 3, 7 through 11. He says, and and, and just kind of follow with me. Here's that and pick up in verse 7 with me. Then the eyes of both of them were what? Open. Now, I want to suggest something to you. Though the eyes were open towards sin, the eyes were closed towards purity and holiness. Eyes were open to sin. Eyes were closed to purity and holiness. Adam very quickly somehow forgot that he was never conscious of being naked prior to his eyes being opened. And when they were naked, they were still considered what? Pure. Innocent. And then I want you to see something that man always tries to do. When you begin to ask man about their sin... Man will always try to lead you some other way other than just what? The sin. And Adam does that in this conversation. He says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Their own shame, their own guilt somehow just hit them right there. The purity before that somehow now, boy, clothes too. Okay, I sinned, but I don't need to cover up anything. I don't need to hide anything. But the clothing became something which they were going to hide because they realized their nakedness. They realized something in the manner in which the way they should be thinking, they're no longer what? Thinking that way. And he says then in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. Now before they would walk with God, they would openly, boy, have that time with God. Now all of a sudden they're doing what? Hiding from God. Whenever you are in sin, even church folks, when they're in sin, guess what we do? We try to hide from God. We hide from the church. We hide from the saints. We try to hide. And he goes on. He says. From the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Uh, You think God knew where Adam was? Yeah. God knew where Adam was. But Adam has to be willing to reveal himself. Remember, sometimes God will not force you. And Adam had to be willing to reveal himself. In a different state in which God had seen him prior, in a sense. And he goes on, he says, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, listen to this. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? The very next thing that follows, it isn't the issue. Oh, the serpent must have told you that you were naked. No. But what is Adam not willing to face up to? Adam's hiding from telling the Lord the truth and coming straight out with the sin. I ate of the tree. I committed this. I done this, I done that. We're always trying to hide rather than get right to the issue of the sin that is causing the problem. And there's Adam. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he said, who told you that you were naked? Now listen to what God says. Have you eaten From the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? He took Adam directly to his what? To his sin. He took Adam directly to that what he had did. It was not about Adam being naked. It was about Adam not obeying God and eating from the tree. But Adam's trying to get it. Well, I was naked. That's why I didn't come out. Now. That's a falsehood there. Because back down in verse 7, it said they had already did what? Covered themselves. And think, when you begin to sin, you begin to lie. To cover the sin. Because you really don't want to deal directly, straight on, with what? The sin. Sometimes when I'm talking with two people who are just shacking up or living together... Rather than deal with the sin, this is what i get. But we love each other. We're committed to each other. We care for each other. You know, we're really trying to see if this is going to work. The real issue is the sin you are living together wrong. That's the issue. Not all the other stuff. Not all the other stuff. It's this one thing that God wants to deal with. The sin, not his this, his sin. And show you the grace of God, God knew them old fig leaves wouldn't work, so God killed something and gave them the proper clothing that would really take care of them. And we're always around when we're with sin, we're trying yet to take care of ourselves, and it doesn't work. Do you see God's grace here with Adam and Eve? And he tells us in that 2 Thessalonians two seven, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Babylon is being set up now if it's not already set up. The evilness of Babylon is being practiced now. The sins of Babylon is being practiced now. The worshiping of all the false gods, false religions. And this sex things for which Babylon was very much so Known for is out of control in our culture and society today. Nothing moves. You can't sell a a car. You can't get a loan. You can't do. Everything is sold by sex. Watch all the advertisement. Everything is sold by sex. And when we get to Revelation six. We get this pre-ramble in a sense. Uh, Now, Jesus Christ opening up the seals. And, And what takes place in that Revelation 6, it's amazing when you really take a good look at it. Because it says in verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Now, he says seven seals. That the Lord... The only one, the Lamb of God who can open up this book, who can open up these seals. Begins to open. But in this chapter, you only get six seals opened. The seventh seal isn't open until Revelation 8.1. Because in chapter 7, God now through his grace and power, is going to show John the Revelator something else he wants him to see. And I think he wants us to see it also. And what he wants us to see is his saving power in the midst of tribulation, in the worst of times that God is still able to save and separate his people. In the worst of times. That God is able. He is the one, as Timothy said, He's the one that keeps me. He's the one who redeems me. He's the one who rescues me. And in the time of tribulation, we need what? Rescue. People will need rescue. And what happens in chapter 7 is amazing. It's not that I believe God forgot about this, and then God just threw chapter 7 in between chapter 6 and chapter 8. I believe God is really wanting us to see something, catch something, hold on to something that is encouraging to us and very rich to the body of Christ or to believers. In 7-1 it says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels, who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees. Until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Look how they are first described. They are first described as servants of our God. Would you take very note of that. Take Very close note of that. They are called, the 144,000 are called the servants of our God. God has a plan for them. That thing in Jeremiah, yeah. God does have a what? A plan for our life. And he has a plan for these individuals. And though he's opening the seals in 6, and in 6 it gives us a little preview of everything that's going to take place. But then when you get to chapter 7, he says, hold up, stop. Don't let nothing start yet. Don't let nothing loose yet. I'm going to seal 144,000 servants. How would you like to stand in the midst of an avalanche and say, Stop? would not you catch that picture? Tons of snow is falling, and you're standing in the midst of it, and you're going to say, Stop! And it's That's God. If you can catch that picture, God is the only one who can do that and say, Stop! This is what I want carried out. And then what He does, He shows us His will. He shows us this. His will. And he's going to show us two groups in this process. And both groups are distinct. And we're going to look at what makes them distinct that he's going to use. And some writers said he uses these two groups to even then in the millennium to populate the millennium period. But he says, stop. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all tribes of Israel. He just takes 12 out of each one. And and the whole process is that here's God now. He is going to that place where he's going to take 12,000 out of each one of the tribes. Now, I'm not here to try to say to you, that's all that's going to be saved of the Jews, no. But what we do know, Jews were one of the people that were vastly killed during this time also. Why? Because they would not denounce Jehovah in that Old Testament. They're not going to denounce, but neither have they accepted Christ. Why? It takes the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But many Gentiles also will be slain during this time period. Because of their confession and because of their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Because of their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Now, go over to chapter 14 with me. Well, put your finger in chapter 14. Go all the way back to Jeremiah 50 and verse 5. Jeremiah 50 and verse 5. Something I want you to try to connect with me. Let's let's pick up in verse 4. Makes it just a little bit clearer. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah... Together will go in tears. To do what? To seek me. To seek me. Jeremiah 50. Verse 4. To seek me. The Lord their God. Go to verse 5. They will ask the way to where? To Zion. And turn their face towards it. They will come. And bind themselves to the Lord. And an everlasting covenant that will not be what? Forgotten. Go to chapter 14, Revelation 14. Remember, they're going to find their way to Zion. He disperses those 144,000. Now here comes our confusion sometime. They are dispersed and they're going out And most likely they do do some witnessing. The problem that some people have with it is that nowhere in this text does it say that they are evangelists. A lot of commentaries would put it they are evangelizing. They are evangelizing. Could be, may not. But we know they're on their way to, I believe, Zion. These are going to connect themselves to the Lord, as it says. Now, when you get to 14, it makes a striking statement because John takes us earthly, not heavenly, earthly. He says in verse 1 Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb. Now look where he's standing. Standing on the Mount of where? Yeah. Where were they going? Mount. Zion. to enter into this covenant that will not be broken with God. They were going to seek him. Some writers will write, they're not sure if there's 144,000 even saved at this point. Or I would argue against that based on this fact. God sealed them. God sealed them. God sealed them. Now, stay with me in this just a little bit. It says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written, whereat On their foreheads. What was the seal? His name and his father's name. Even though the Antichrist is ruling, Even though the beast is in charge. They can do no more. Just like in the days of Job. Satan could do no more than Job. Than what God allowed him to do. And God gave him his limits. With this group. They start off at with 144,000. They end up with the Lord on Mount Zion with 144,000. They didn't lose one. Now what I want you to really capture is this. Tribulation period. Maybe what is called the great tribulation period. But what I want you to take hold of is this here. God was able to keep them. Until he himself came and stood where? On Mount Zion and they were there then what? With them on Mount Zion. In the worst of your circumstances. In the worst of your time. If you don't trust in God. He can keep you. Because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He can keep you. He's able. And it says. Boy. 144,000. Had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And another thing that distinguishes them from the group we're going to talk about is the great multitude that was also saved. You have this great multitude that is saved, but once you look, you've got two different groups being saved, and God is working with these two different groups a little bit differently. A little bit differently. If you really know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't try to be so much like this person or that person. Let God work in you in a manner that will please him. You are distinct in your own right. And God wants to use you in ministry. God wants to use you in the manner in which he wants to. And these two groups, though he speaks of both of them in chapter 7, they are very distinct. And he says about this 144,000. One, they had the son's name and the father's name on their head. Number two. I'm sorry. First one, they had Mount Zion with them. Number two, they have the father's name, the son's name. Number three, only one who could sing a new song. Out of all them folks in heaven, all them angels around, For some reason, God distinguishes them, and they're the only ones who can sing this new song, and nobody else sings it. Boy, that's something. That's some high privilege, that you and you alone can sing this certain song before God, and nobody else can. That is some privilege to have. But it distinguishes them. It distinguishes them among all the others that are even there at heaven at that point. It distinguishes them even upon all those that are on earth. They they are distinguished because they can sing this song. And it, it says Boy, and I heard a sound from a heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud pearl pearl of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harps playing. Their harps, harpists playing their harps. And they sung a new song before the throne and before four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been what? Redeemed. Another distinctness about them. As we studied Babylon and we studied how Babylon uh, instituted prostitution in the temple in the worship area, if the church would institute prostitution, we wouldn't have enough seats. And the whole process comes down that these men, even though in a sense you could say it was legalized, it was okay to have sex with this person and that person and that person. That somehow culture and society had come to a point to say, go ahead, enjoy yourself. That these men chose (coughs) to be virgins. For it says they were not defiled by women. The issue is this here. And I think this is what it really points out to the purity. They desired to stay pure before God. They longed to be pure before God. They desired that. And they wanted to be that way before God. Come on down to verse 4. In verse, chapter 14 of Revelation. These are those who did not defile themselves with women... For they kept themselves what? Pure. How many of you really desire to stay pure before God? See, if you don't practice purity before God, then you allow any kind of corruption in. If you don't value yourself as a vessel of God, and they had valued themselves, they knew that they were chosen. They knew that they were sealed. They knew, and because of what they knew about God choosing them, picking them, it was an honor to be pure before God. But it would be something that the church would desire to be pure before its God. To be holy before its God. To be blameless before its God. And they practiced that. They did that. There's no law saying they can't marry. There's no law saying they can't be intimate with a woman who they have married. But they chose to stay pure. And I think that's the issue that he's bringing us to here. That each of us have a choice to be pure before God. To be holy before God. If we really know who our God is. And he, he, he goes again from that point. He said, they followed the lamb. This distinction's about them. That they stood on Mount Zion with the lamb. Yes, that they had the son's name, the father's name, and they sung a new song, and they desired to be pure. And it came to that point that said, they followed the lamb, period. Don't matter what the cost. They followed him. They followed him. Now this had to be a practice before Jesus even what? Stepped on Mount Zion. That they were following after him. They were seeking him. How many of you are really following the Lord before he comes? See, it's easier to follow him after he gets here. See, it's like parents. Parents. When parents are right there. Watching you. It's easy to follow what they ask of you. Isn't that right, John? But boy, when they're not right there. All that temptation come in, don't it? You know what is right to do. And following their instructions. But we get somehow taken off the beaten path. But it says one of their distinctions was they followed the Lamb. They followed. How many of you are determined just to follow the Lord, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Even before you see Him face to face, you're determined to follow Him. is one of their distinctive marks about this group. And then it comes and it says, they were offered as the first fruit. Whether that meaning That they were the first group really saved during the time of tribulation in such a mass group. I don't know. But it says, they were offered as the first fruits to God. There was something so special about them that they were offered as the first fruits out of tribulation towards God. Now think with me on this last point. They grew up. Or they're hearing all this heresy. All this false teaching out of Babylon. They're hearing all this false teaching from the beast and from the Antichrist. They're hearing all this. Look what it says about them no lie was found in their mouth when it came to the lord jesus christ no false heresy no false teaching no lie was found in their mouth what is god showing us you can be in the midst of all kind of demonic teaching but if you know the truth you will hang on to the truth. You will be able to separate truth and a lie. Remember what it says in Thessalonians? They chose to believe a lie. They chose not to believe a lie, nor to be part of a lie. So there was no lie in their mouth because they did not even choose to be a part of it. And a lot of us sometimes, we choose to be part of a lie. And then we begin to spread that lie. And it damages other people. And it says, boy, there was no lie in their mouth. And I believe that points towards the teaching that was going on in their day. And all the heresy and all the lies that were about Jesus Christ. Every religion we know of does not in many ways denounce Jesus Christ as a person. They denounce him as being who? God. He's a great prophet. He's a great man. He's a great miracle worker. But he's not God. And how many of us buy into some of those lies? Man. And it says no lie was found in his mouth. Then when you go back to chapter 7. Boy. It's amazing what takes place. This I would say, take this chapter 7, this second part we're going to look at. You take it and you tear it apart and you look at it from your own life. And ask yourself, are you doing any of this? Are, Are you in any way so amazed with God? Even in the little bit that this great multitude is. And it doesn't tell us this great multitude had any special sealing. But if they're saved, they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to look at the distinction now between this group that God used and this group. Remember, the 144,000 are still on earth. Jesus comes down. He's standing on the Mount Zion, and they are there with him. This takes place in heaven. But what I want you to hear is the confession. And I want you to catch what the people know what the people know. See, Paul says, I know in whom I have what? Believed. I know. Do you know who you believe in? Do you really know who you trust? Do you really know if you are eternally saved? Do you really know God for yourself? See, you can't go to heaven on grandma's God. You can't go to heaven on mama's salvation, daddy's salvation, anybody else. You got to know him for your... The second group, the distinction of this great multitude. So you get in chapter 7, back in verse 6, he says, After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now the other ones, you could count. 144,000, it tells us. So they're, they're countable. But here is a great multitude that cannot be what? Count it. This multitude come out of that thing that I call, boy, the greatest of greatest of great awakening. This may be the greatest revival ever taking place. Because when you get down in verse 14, I think it, it said that they are the group that come out of tribulation. And he says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every, what? Nation, tribe, people, and language. So, They're not just Jews, are they? They are being saved from all those nations, from all those kings who are following after Babylon. All those nations that are following after Babylon. These people are being saved. All these different tongues, nationalities, all these ethnic groups. They're being saved. God is showing us His power even though the greatest force of all stands against Him right now. God is saying, You will not prevent me from saving those who desire to be saved. You will not stop me. And he comes to this place. And he says. All the angels. I'm sorry. Tribe nations standing before the throne. And in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. And were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Now what I want you to really Understands what they're crying out, because see on earth, who had become the savior, the antichrist, the beast. Who become the gospel, the gospel of the antichrist, the beast, and that you had to look upon who, and you had to bow down to who. And God takes. John up to heaven in a preview of this great multitude that is saved in the name of Jesus doing this terrible, horrible time on earth. Now, follow a little bit closer. He says, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. They cried that out. Salvation belongs to our God, not to the beast, not to the Antichrist, not to some. It belongs to our God. How many of you really know salvation belongs to Jesus Christ and no other? Boy, you can't be saved by the name of Buddha. You can't be saved by the name of Allah or following after Allah. You can't be saved following after Kishu or whatever his name used to be That He's dead now saying he wasn't going to die. Well, he's good and dead and in hell. There's only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must what? Be saved. You and I got to buy that. We got to own that. And we got to sell that. And these, this group here experienced that though they heard on earth another way to be saved by bowing down to the beast and taking the seal of the beast, the mark of the beast, that they realized there's none other way and that salvation really belongs to who? To our God and no other. To our God and no other. And John's hearing this, salvation belongs to our God second point that he's going to recognize who sits on the throne who sits on the throne go back to 2nd Thessalonians with me go to chapter 2 and verse 4 Remember who's sitting on the throne. And he's seeing who's sitting on the throne. And this multitude seeing who? Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. There may have been some of them who saw the Antichrist go into the temple and do what? Sit where no other should sit <laughs> and declaring himself what? God so it, it says that's not he will oppose and will exalt himself the Antichrist over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be what? Catch this picture. Here are the people in heaven. They're seeing Jesus Christ where at? Sitting on the throne in heaven. But they had also most likely seen the Antichrist enter into the temple, which is the earthly temple, not the heavenly temple, the earthly temple. And they saw the Antichrist declare himself to be what? To be God here. Let me share something with you. There, God is never threatened by what we do here on earth. What we do here on earth never shakes heaven. Because Jesus Christ knows who He is. And Jesus Christ knows the only one who sits on this throne is who? God Almighty. He Himself. And Satan just sat in something that was temporary. But the people saw him, maybe. Maybe some of this great multitude saw this. And now, boy, what are they witnessing? What are they seeing? They are seeing that boy who sits on the throne, who really sits on the real throne, who really sits high and does what? Look low, who really sits and rules over everything. They're seeing this. Look what they say then. And to the Lamb. Let's put it together for a little bit. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, sits on the throne and he is the God of salvation. Very quickly. Last two. To Jesus, the Lamb, belongeth both salvation and the throne. He owns the throne of your heart whether you want him to own it or not. No one else can really sit there and rule but him. He's the only one who will sit there without a rebellion within the mind and the heart. But when you're trying to sit there, Satan's trying to get you out of it. When Satan's sitting there, you're fighting against him too eh? because you want to be there. But when Jesus Christ sits on the throne of the hearts of men, there becomes a peace that surpasses all understanding. And he rules the life of the individual. Last point. Come down to verse 6 with me. Look what he says about them. Why? Because now they're in heaven with him. But look what they say about him. He says in that verse 6, Never again will they hunger. So these people knew what? They knew hunger. They knew because, see, with the mark of the beast, you couldn't buy or you couldn't sell without the mark of the beast. And it said, boy, they'll never hunger again. He says, boy, never again will they thirst. They couldn't provide the basic things that they needed for life for themselves because they couldn't buy or sell. And it goes on and it says, the sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the lamb of the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They had been through a struggle. They had been through some terrible times. But then to be able to see the one and know the one who saved them and the one who really sits on the throne, what amazing insight. And God takes John up to see these two groups. The 144,000, how he's going to use them. And then here's this other great multitude that can't be numbered. How they are around the throne of God praising him. Coming out of this tribulation. People, because it's God's will that none should perish salvation is going to take place during the most horrible times upon earth. God's arms are not short that he cannot save. God's will is still going to be manifested that he wills that none should perish but that all would do what? Come to repentance. It is God's will in the worst of time, in the most horrible time, It's his will that man would be saved. When we get into the point when God's wrath come, we're going to compare it somewhat with entering into the ark. If you're not already in and remember, God's wrath is not appointed unto his people. It's not appointed unto his people. But when that wrath comes, salvation ceases. Salvation ceases. If you don't know him, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't try to sneak into heaven. It won't work. Understand, there's no back door to heaven. Only one way in. Jesus Christ. Amen. Him alone. And if you've never accepted Christ. I plead with you. Don't believe me. Believe that word. Amen. For God says, it is appointed unto every man once to die, and then what? The judgment. God says there's no other name given in the heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. I want you to ask yourself this question Are people still dying? With all of our technology, all of our abilities, people are still doing what? Dying. And that will not change. And just like that will not change. There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved other than Jesus Christ. That will not change. Those are two absolutes. Even though you may not like absolutes, they will not change. All you have to do is just pray with me. Shall we pray together? Father, I know each and every one of our hearts that are sitting here before you. And yes, Lord, you are right here with us. You're not a long way off. You're right here with us. And Lord, we don't know the hearts of one another, but you do. You know those that are yours. And those who are saved know that they are truly saved. They know that they really have a love for you. They know they really desire to be pure before you. They know they're really desiring to follow after you. They know there's a hunger in their heart for you. And Father, I pray for that one, oh God, who is sitting and questioning, Lord, can this be real? Your Holy Spirit is the one who has to convict. Your Holy Spirit is the one that has to teach. Your Holy Spirit is the one that has to reveal you to them and I pray father that you would allow your spirit oh God to do the work that only he's able to do that man cannot do and that is to pierce the hearts and the mind of that individual that they might pray Lord Jesus come into my heart and save me Lord Jesus I repent of my sins and I agree with you that I am a sinner. And I pray that you will transform my life. That the old things would pass away. And that I might see all things becoming new.